0: Heard weekdays from noon to one.
1: I'd like to turn to an incredible rescue of the celebrated White Helmets. They are Syrian volunteers who risked their own lives to help the injured in that terrible war. And with the Syrian government forces closing in on the opposition's last stronghold, hundreds of White Helmets and their families have been evacuated through Israeli-held territory and transported to Jordan. Uh, this is the group of first responders who rush to the scene of airstrikes and pull victims for the rubble, and they've been credited with saving tens of thousands of lives since they started in 2013. Uh, the rescue operation started late Saturday, and it was carried out actually at the request of the Canadian and American governments. Uh, there were 422 evacuees, more than half of them children, and I am going to bring in our friend, filmmaker Martin Himmel, who is in Tel Aviv. Hi, Martin.
2: Hi, how are you?
1: Fine. So, uh, first of all, how is this being played in Israel?
2: Well, it was played up because uh, it uh, was uh, touted as a, a major Israeli humanitarian gesture uh, to help uh, Syrians under siege. Uh, I mean, Israel pretty much tries to stay out of the conflict there, except when Iranians try to get close to the border. Otherwise, they try to keep uh, out of it because uh, it's a major conflict right on its border. They don't want shells coming across. But here and there, they do launch humanitarian efforts. They have hospitals that have taken in Syrian wounded, uh, and uh, they have worked with these white helmets before in coordinating with them. And uh, they felt this gesture was important because the Syrian army is coming into the area where these white helmets uh, teams are located in Dara, in the southern part of Syria. And if they stayed there, their lives would have been in serious jeopardy. The only choice was to get out and to get to some safe sanctuary.
1: Now, did the Israelis actually go into Syrian-held Syrian territory and take them out, or did they just guarantee the safe passage? It's unclear to me.
2: Well, I was actually up there this weekend in the on the border. Uh, and I tried to get to where the white helmets are coming up, but they, but they only let army crews into the area. Uh, they wouldn't let uh, civilian journalists write to the actual point, but the point is literally on the border, uh, in the southern Golan Heights uh, meeting Syria, uh, where refugees were, were basically, uh, camped for a while on the other side of the frontier. And, uh, what happened was that the Syrian government made a, uh, the Syrian defense uh, government been made a, a truce with the rebels, or uh, uh, the Nusra Front, which actually is a radical Islamic front backed by al-Qaeda. I mean, there are no easy sides here. The Syrian government's quite brutal, and they're quite brutal. And in the middle of all that are these white helmets running around trying to save civilian lives, and considering the fact that... Uh, over 600,000 have been killed, and over 11 million people displaced. It's the biggest displacement since World War II anywhere. Uh, these white helmets try to get between these very tough sides and save people's lives. So, uh, But the Syrian government considers them traitors, working with the opposition forces. And there was a real fear that with this ceasefire, if they come in, and they will come in, uh, as the rebels leave, that uh those white helmets and their families will be marked as traitors, and their lives will be in serious jeopardy. So uh the deal was that Canada, Germany, and Britain, I believe, would take them in, but they had to get to Jordan first. The border with Jordan's closed because the Syrian government forces are right on the border. The only way to get to Jordan was to go through Israel. And so the Israelis opened up the border. uh It was a coordinated effort, and... Uh, uh, as you mentioned, 422 of these White Helmets uh, personnel came to the border and were taken in. Uh, but uh, they actually wanted to take in 800. Right. But uh, 800 couldn't reach the border, which leaves obviously great concern for the few hundred that are still out there and are trapped and can't make it to the border to make it to Jordan.
1: And But who actually got them onto those buses and to the border? Was that the United Nations? Was that they did it on their own? That's the well, part of the right, sure. they basically came...
2: The the areas opened right to the border. They came right to the border near uh, an area called Tel Hazak, which is a a mountainous, uh, uh, like a lone mountain right on the border. And they walked to the fence. They opened the fence. The soldiers took them in, put them on buses, drove them about 80 kilometers southward to the Jordanian frontier, and then they, they went through that way. So the Israeli army opened the border, took them in, make sure they got across and then brought them to the Jordanian border and that's how it was oper- uh, that's how it went
1: uh, i just just uh, like to make the point the Canadian government has a, a big role in this. And apparently it started at the NATO meeting. We were all transfixed by Donald Trump picking fights with his allies. But one of the things that happened at that meeting, apparently uh, our foreign minister, Christopher Freeland, uh, was talking about the plight of these white helmets and that something had to be done. The United States joined in. They phoned the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Yahu and he agreed to this safe passage as did Jordan and Canada will be taking 50 of the white helmets and their families and that's up to 250 people and uh, the United States is taking none of them some of them will stay in Jordan so that's And I believe uh,
2: Germany I believe Germany and Britain are taking the the rest
1: Um, Yes, Germany and Britain taking the rest. Our previous guest, security and terrorism expert Ross McLean, uh, brought up an interesting question, and that is, who exactly are these white helmets, and are they affiliated politically? Are they involved with any groups that are active there?
2: Well, it's a a tricky question. Look, there's no, uh, uh, in the direct clash In the the players of the Syrian civil war, there are no easy sides. The Syrian government is a brutal military run by Hafez Assad, as I mentioned, is responsible for uh, almost 11 million expulsions and uh, 600,000 dead. And he's backed by the Russians who have been bombing civilians, and uh, Assad himself has been using chemical weapons. This is very brutal warfare, not to mention the fact that Iran is also helping the uh, Syrian forces with uh, so-called Shia militias, which are really trained Iranian soldiers. And then there's Hezbollah, which is a uh, world-recognized terrorist organization that uh, fights Israel, fights Syria, and is a major drug dealer around the world. Uh, So uh, the Syrian side is not exactly made up of uh, very clean forces. Now let's look at the other side. The other side is uh, was a group called Jabhat al-Nusra, which uh, basically is a, a radical... Uh, Sunni uh, group that uh, uh, is affiliated with Al Qaeda, and we know Al Qaeda was responsible for 9/11 and many other terrible terrorist attacks. Then they wanted to clean their name a bit, so they changed their name to Jamat al al-Sha- Sham, which is uh, the the the, uh, the the Army of Syria, uh, uh, and uh, and then. Uh, but they basically are at arms-length uh, group affiliated with Al Qaeda and ide- Al Qaeda ideology. And for a while, the other major player was ISIS, and we all know what ISIS was about, but they've been significantly beaten by the Americans. The only other wild card really are the Kurds, which are a legitimate force, but they're nowhere to be seen in this fight. They're more in the Far East, and they've actually been significantly curtailed by the United States. So, uh, so there's no easy actors here. And the White Helmets worked primarily with Nusra, that's the Al Qaeda group. Uh, and and, uh, and, uh, and, it, and it's malicious. So they had to working... deal with them. They had to work with them. Is they working... had to follow their, uh, their uh, rules, which also meant uh, beards, Islamic adherence. But they weren't fighters. They really were trying to save civilians. I mean, the civilians were the real victims here from all sides. And they were bombed and chemically bombed and bombed with chlorine gas. And they showed incredible bravery to go and save these people. So, yes, they were linked to them but their focus is really humanitarian.
1: Okay, so they were linked to them but we don't know if they're uh you know of the group.
2: Well, I'm sure there are, some are affiliated, more some are affiliated less. I understand these these people are going to be in Jordan for a few months and I bet I guess the major reason they'll be in Jordan is to screen them to see how much they are affiliated with them.
1: Interesting. And and more than half of the evacuees were children.
2: Yes, because uh, they have families. They have wives, children. Uh, You can't exactly take them out, leave the families behind. Uh, They'll be destitute and in a terrible situation, and their lives will be threatened. Of course, they they take the families out. It's a very complex picture, you know. Uh, You can't save human beings without being affiliated somewhat with the militias or with the Syrian government. If you're affiliated with them, you're affiliated with really bad guys. That doesn't mean you're necessarily a bad guy. But you're not going to save human beings if you're not affiliated with someone. So it's a very, very complex situation.
1: And, and where does Israel stand in all of this? Uh, we've seen examples of Israel cooperating with traditional enemies. I mean, is it the enemy of my enemy is my friend?
2: Well, that's how bizarre it is. I mean, uh, Nusra, the militia that's fighting the Syrian government, is backed by al-Qaeda. And the idea of, you know, they're, one of their biggest enemies is the state of the Jews and i am sure without a doubt that if they did succeed in their war against Assad and defeated him the next step would be to mobilize a big force to attack the jewish state and and uh, and, uh, and jerusalem i mean there's no bigger enemy but they were facing a situation where their backs against the, uh, where backs were basically was israel and in front of them was the syrian military and they were fighting a vicious war and uh, yes yeah, an enemy enemies are friends so they were pleading for help the israelis were not going to go give them active help so well, they did give them a little bit, and, and, and more importantly, they were treating their wounded, and they were treating civilian wounded, and let them go to Israeli hospitals. Not all of them, some of them. In fact, uh, to even complicate it further, the, one of the people that uh, this Nusra group were fighting hard against were Druze. These are another group that uh, is not Muslim and not Jewish. It's another religion sect in the same area. And Druze live in Israel, and Jews live in Syria. When the Israeli Druze heard that Nusra free fighters were coming to hospitals, they actually attacked, the, attacked them, actually lynched one. So it's extremely complicated. So for a while, Nusra was working with Israel in a very quiet, tacit way, and it was uh, it, the deal was, you know, for, uh, Israel was given medical help, and Nusra would not fire rockets into Israel, and it worked.
1: Okay, Martin, uh, we've got to uh, wrap things up. We're out of time. Thank you so much for uh, trying to clarify some of this very complicated situation.
0: Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.